We uh, are back in Mark. We took a little bit of a break. We've been in Mark for a long time, and uh, we are, Lord willing, fisting to hit the last section of Mark in these next couple of months. <clears throat> We're in chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. We last read in Mark the Lord's Supper. Jesus was with his disciples. And Jesus' death and his crucifixion on the cross was not far away. Jesus has been preparing his disciples all throughout the book of Mark, getting them ready, especially in these last few chapters we've looked at, the last five or six chapters, Jesus is really getting them ready, saying, okay, the time is coming. And they, they really perhaps didn't understand or didn't comprehend what Jesus was talking about. But Jesus had already told them, that his death was coming. And we ended with Jesus and the disciples at the Lord's Supper. And we are going to pick up right where we left off. This is part 67 of the book of Mark. If you want to listen to the first 66 parts, they are online. If you want to refresh yourself up to this point, uh, you can find them on the church website. But this morning, we are going to be in Mark 14, and we're going to start in verse 27. <clears throat> we are going to read from verse 27 through verse 42. Some of you are saying, oh my, that's a big section, and it is, but we are not going to talk about all of that this morning. We're, we're really going to talk about verse 32. We're going to hit verses 27 through 31. Uh, and we'll just briefly talk about that, but we'll double back here uh, in, a, in a week or two, and we'll kind of come back to that and, and tie that part of the story in with the, with the rest of the story of Peter. So have no fear. We're not skipping those verses. We just are, we're going to double back to them here a little later. Mark chapter 14, verse 27 is where we'll start, but let's pray before we jump in. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you that we can be here. We thank you for these words, and I pray that you just would hide me behind the cross as I preach and teach. Just let me do a good job for, for you, dear Lord. Let us open our hearts and open our ears and our minds to hear maybe what you want to speak to us today, God. Let your word speak to us, and God, I pray that you'd keep us free of any distractions, anything of the world, any worries that we have, that God, during this time, that we can focus on you and be devoted to you. So, God, I pray that you just help us to get something good in these next few minutes and let your Holy Spirit work on our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, that is, the disciples, then Jesus said to them, All of you will run away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been resurrected... I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if everyone runs away, I will certainly not. I assure you, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. So here Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to happen. 
Jesus knew he would soon be arrested. And he tells his disciples, look, when they come for me, you are all going to scatter. They were all going to hit the road. They were going to go their separate ways. And they assured Jesus they were not. And particularly, Peter is singled out for us here. He says, look, I will not run away from you. I will not deny you. I will certainly not do this, Lord. Even if everyone else runs away, I will not. And then he says in verse 31, and he kept insisting, Peter did, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And what's interesting after that, it says, and they all said the same thing. We remember that about Peter, don't we? We remember that, oh, Peter is the one who is going to deny Jesus, but it wasn't just Peter who said, I will die with you. And they all said the same thing. They all were confident. Whatever happens to you, Lord Jesus, we are with you. We are by your side. Have you ever had anybody that was by your side until the going got tough and then they got going? It's possible you have. It's possible that you've been one of those that got going. Maybe you was going to stand by somebody else and all of a sudden it got too tough and say, well, I, you know, I, I was going to... I love you and all, and I want to help you, and I want to be here with you, but, I mean, you got to understand, I mean, this is, you know, I can't be part of this. I'm sorry. And here was Jesus' disciples, and they were confident. I will not deny you. I will not leave you. I will die with you. And they all said the same thing. Verse 32. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now Gethsemane is just outside of Jerusalem. It's a garden area. So Jesus and his disciples are not far from town at this point. They have, they have had this last supper in the night and Jesus speaks these words to them in the verses before and says, look, you guys are going to scatter. And they say, we will not. And Jesus is like, okay. And they go on about their way and they go to Gethsemane and he told his disciples to sit while he prayed. So this was a very easy job for his disciples to do. Let's see what happens in verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. So he goes with his disciples to Gethsemane, and he, as he gets into the garden, he tells them to pray, but he, he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he goes a little further. And he is with them, and he is deeply distressed and horrified, the Scripture says. He says, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Now we see on a few occasions in Scripture that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. I don't know exactly why it is. Perhaps perhaps he saw something special in them. Perhaps he knew that they were going to have a certain strength or a certain giftedness to lead the kingdom of God in a different way when he was gone. Maybe he was pouring more time into them. Uh, maybe, maybe they were the worst three. Maybe they had the less potential. And he says, oh, I, gotta, I better work on these three and I ain't got much longer to go. I don't know why Jesus chose 
Peter, James, and John, but there was some reason why he chose them. And I, I believe it was probably because he, he perhaps knew that they may be used in a special way, in a different way than the other disciples. Not that they were any more important or that the other disciples were insignificant. They certainly were not in uh, bringing about and preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God at Jesus' death. But Jesus did uh, pour into these, it seems like, a little more on a few occasions. And that's, that's understandable for us. There are perhaps uh, people that we encounter in our life, maybe that we are helping to teach, and, and maybe we see something special in them. Maybe we see something about them and we say, hey, you know what? I, I, I want to help this young man or this young woman. I want to help this person. I see some potential there. I see some giftedness that God has given them in a certain way. And I want to help them grow in the Lord. I want to help them hone their skills, whatever it may be. And perhaps we have had experiences like that in our life. And so he is with Peter, James, and John. And the language there really shows us uh, what Jesus was feeling, that he was deeply distressed and horrified that his soul was swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Now, Jesus knew exactly what was coming to him. He knew what was coming. He knew that his life would soon be taken from him. He knew not only that he would suffer the sin, or excuse me, that he would suffer the pain of the, of the physical things that he would endure, but he was about to have the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. He, he had it on his shoulders right now. He knew that he, what he carried. He knew that he had every sin that had been committed before him and every sin that had been committed after him, your sins and my sins. Jesus had all of those sins that were on him. And he knew that he was the only one who could erase those sins or cover those sins. He knew that it was only by his blood, it was only by his sacrifice that our sins could be covered. And so no doubt Jesus was thinking about what was to come. Perhaps he was thinking about the pain that was to come. Perhaps he was, he was, he was really uncertain. He was afraid perhaps. And he didn't know what to expect perhaps. Or maybe he knew everything to expect. Maybe that's what was so difficult. But he knew what he had to do. He knew that, that he had to give his life for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And so you can only imagine. That's all we can do is imagine that weight that Jesus had. Some of us have a lot of weight on our shoulders. We may even say sometimes that we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. You know what's that like, what that's like when... People are depending on you and you have things you have to do and you don't want to let people down. You want to be there for folks. You want to do the things you have to do and, and, and sometimes it's really hard with all the things that we may experience in life. And sometimes we may say we have the weight of wor the world on our shoulders, but really what we experience pales in comparison to what Jesus was experiencing in this moment. He was deeply distressed he was horrified. His soul was swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. And so he tells his disciples something interesting. Remain here and stay awake. Let's read a little further in verse 35. Then he went a little farther, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. 
And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And so Jesus goes along a little further away from Peter, James, and John, and he said, you guys stay awake. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to pray. And he, he went a little further, and he began to pray. And what was his prayer? His prayer was this, that if it were possible, that the hour may pass from him. God, if it is possible, let this pass me by, this, this suffering that I'm about to experience. God, if there is any other way, let this pass me by. Let this hour pass by. Let me be spared of all, of all of this pain and suffering and sorrow that I am about to experience. Father, if it is possible, let there be any other way. So Jesus was praying here. God, deliver me from this. If it's possible, deliver me from what is coming. And then we have Jesus' own words in verse 36. He said, Abba, which means Father. Uh, perhaps a good word to describe Abba to us is daddy, the same word that we would use for daddy. That's what you see uh, young children when they call, daddy, daddy, daddy this, daddy that, daddy help me. That's what Jesus was saying here. He was saying, daddy help me if it's possible. Dad, please deliver me from this. We can only imagine the sorrow that Jesus must have felt. There are some who suggest that Jesus didn't really feel any pain. He went through the motions and he gave his life, but he didn't, really, he didn't really feel the pain in the same way that you and I would feel the pain because, after all, he was God. But I don't believe that. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that Jesus felt the pain just as you and I do. You think of the days that you have intense sorrow. You think of the days that you were in pain. You think of the days that you have called out to God, that you have pleaded with God, that you have sought God with everything in you. You think about those days. You think about the tears that you shed on your worst days when you cry out to God and call out to God and you feel the pain and you are afraid of what might, might come down the road and you don't know what to expect. You don't know how you can handle it. Think about that. We've probably all had those days. You think about how you felt, and that's how Jesus felt times a million, times infinity. I believe that Jesus was God, but I believe that he was fully human. And I believe when Jesus was there that day, that he felt the same type of emotions and pain and sorrow that you and I feel. Jesus cried out, and he said, Look, Abba, Father, all things are possible. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Now, here's something that Jesus recognized that you and I need to recognize. All things are possible for God. That is not in question. God can do all things. Jesus knew that. He said, look, all things are possible for you, Father. Take this cup away from me. What's the cup that he's talking about? He's talking about the cup that, uh, uh, of, the, of, the, of the suffering that he is about to experience. The cup of the wrath of God that is poured out on the sins of humanity, your sins and my sin. Father, I know with you all things are possible, so take this cup from me. 
We're supposed to ask for God for all that we need. We are supposed to bring everything before God. We are supposed to come before God in faith. We are supposed to come before God trusting Him. Jesus had all the faith in the world in the Father and His request. His request was probably the most earnest request in a prayer that there has ever been in this moment. He was as genuine as he could be. His heart was focused on God and his faith in God was as strong as it possibly could be. And he said, Father, Daddy, I know you can do anything. I know nothing's impossible. So take this cup from me. He made his request. But he knew that there was something that was important. And he pointed that out at the end of this prayer. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now, we need to get that. That's, a, that's difficult for us, right? The Bible tells us to pray and to pray with faith. And we do that. And sometimes we pray with all the faith that we have. And it's genuine as it can be. And we know and we believe, we don't doubt God, that He can do what we're praying for. But sometimes he does not do what we're praying for. Now, I want to point this out. We may sometimes pray for things that do not occur, and we may begin to doubt God, or we may begin to doubt our faith. We may begin to say, man, my faith must not be strong enough. My prayer was not answered. I, I must have some doubt in my life. My prayer was not answered. I must not be living right. God's not hearing my prayer. God, if there's sin in my life, forgive it so you can hear my prayer. God, listen to me. And we pray prayers earnestly and genuinely from our heart, and we are as humble and brokenhearted as we can be. And we say, did God hear my prayer? Do I not have enough faith? Well, that's possible. It's possible that your prayers to God are simply lip service. That you really aren't calling out to God with your heart. That you really don't have faith. That you really do have doubt in what you're praying for. That's a possibility. But then again, you may be praying as genuine as you can be with all the faith in the world. And sometimes God does not answer our prayers. Here we see two occasions mentioned in this passage. Jesus began to pray, If it's possible, let the hour pass for me. And then again, Father, I know all things are possible through you. Take this cup from me twice here. We see this request of Jesus mentioned in Mark. But yet Jesus recognizes and realizes something significant. He didn't just come to figure this out either, by the way. He knew what was most important in his ministry. He always had known what was most important in his ministry. That God's kingdom come, that God's will be done. That's who Jesus was here for, the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. To build the kingdom of God, to establish the kingdom of God to become the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to become our sacrificial lamb, to take our sins. That was the will of God. And Jesus came to do the will of God. 
and he had done the will of God. And he had pointed people to the Father. It was always to the Father. Jesus always pointed people to the Father. It was to the Father, to the Father, to the Father. And he says, Father, deliver me from this. That's my request, Father. But Father, your will is more important than my request. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. There are times that the things that we pray for are not God's will. And that's very difficult. That's very difficult. Now, there are some things we pray for that ain't, don't mount to a hill of beans. I used to pray all the time. This was stupid of me, I guess. Or maybe it wasn't, I don't know. When I was a teenager, I used to pray all the time for a four-wheeler. I used to pray about that. I don't know that that's a good prayer. I don't know. Maybe we should go to God with all this. I used to pray about that and pray about that and pray about that and pray about that. Well, sometimes we don't get those kind of things that we pray for. That's insignificant. It doesn't matter. Maybe it is God's will for you to have a four-wheeler. It, it doesn't matter. But there are more serious things we pray for, too. When we see people that we love who are sick, when we see people that we love who are hurting, whether it's people that we know personally or maybe it's people we don't even know. We see them on TV in another country. We see pain and we see heartache and we see war. And we pray about that. And perhaps sometimes God answers the prayers in the way that we pray. And perhaps sometimes He doesn't. And that's tough. It's tough because we don't, we don't see everything as God sees everything. Now, when God comes up with a plan, it is a perfect plan. The only other people that can come up with plans that work as good as God are the A-team. Every week they come up with a plan. And at the end of every episode, I love it when a plan comes together. Their plans always come together. You watch the episode, and they're doing all this stuff, and you don't know how it's going to work out. And then at the end of the episode, they've got all this stuff. This, they built these contraptions, and they always catch the bad guy, and they always <laughs> escape. And they love it when a plan comes together. Well, I want to tell you today, God is far better than the A-team. And he has a perfect plan. A perfect plan that he has put into motion. A perfect plan that everything that has occurred in this world and will occur in this world is part of God's plan. Ever since sin entered into humanity, ever since the Garden of Eden, God put his plan into place. What was his plan? A, I love humanity, I want to be with them. B, there's sin in the world. C, I got to get rid of that sin so that I can be with the humanity I created. So God began his plan. And we begin to see glimpses all through the Old Testament. They're not always apparent to us. They're not always clear. They don't always jump out to us. But the more we read Scripture and the more we see about Jesus, the more we begin to see those pieces and how everything was pointing to Jesus. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He killed an animal and he provided for them. Pointing forward to Jesus. A sacrifice that was made for their sins. And all throughout the Old Testament, God was establishing a plan 
to restore humanity. All throughout the Old Testament, there were just a few righteous people. And I'm talking about just a few sometimes. In the case of Noah, it was just righteous Noah and his family were the only good people in the whole world. There was always a few, though, a few righteous, godly people that God worked through for God to build his plan, for his plan to unfold, for his plan to lead to Jesus Christ so that sins could be forgiven, your sins and my sins. And God allowed a lot of things to happen that were difficult, that didn't make any sense. But they were all part of God's plan so that God's will would come. What is God's will? That all that will be saved will be saved. He does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's what God desires. There are some, however, who will not come to repentance in Christ. There are others who will. So everything that occurs in God's plan is for those who will come to Him to come to Him so that His kingdom will be as big as it can possibly be. Now sometimes God allows things to happen in our life that do not make sense. But that's because we don't see the big picture. We can say... Okay, God, I know you have plans for me. I know you have plans for your kingdom. And we, we know that. But we don't know what those plans are. We don't know what those plans look like. And so even in the midst of our suffering, or the suffering of others, there are things that are going on there that perhaps we cannot see. There are things going on there that perhaps we cannot understand. There are things there that God is using to build His kingdom. And so when we pray, we pray with faith. We pray without doubt. We pray knowing that with God all things are possible. But we pray not for our will, but for God's will. God, I pray for this thing to happen. God, I think that this is the way that it needs to be. God, I think that this is best. So God, I pray that you would answer this prayer. But God, I don't always know best. And you do. So God, I pray that your will be done and not mine. And Jesus prayed right there with all the faith in the world. God, this is going to be so difficult. God, if it's at all possible, please, please deliver me from this pain. But only if it's your will. Perhaps there are prayers you're praying today that are not so different from Jesus's. And you may be praying, God, if there's any way, deliver me from this pain. But only if it's the will of God. Let's continue on a little further. Verse 37. Then he came and found them sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus goes and prays. He is preparing for what is to come. And he goes back to his disciples, and what are they doing? They're, just, they're sleeping. He had told him to stay awake. He said, what are you doing? 
He said, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Jesus hadn't been gone long, at the very most, one hour. They didn't have watches back then, so they didn't know exactly what an hour was, but wasn't no more than an hour, that's for sure. Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Jesus was praying for what was to come. The disciples were sleeping. They should have been praying too. Jesus gives us an example here of what we are to do. Sometimes we sleep in when we ought to be praying. Jesus said, stay awake. Why did he tell them to stay awake? Why did he tell them to pray? He said, so that they will not enter into temptation. What is going to be the temptation? Well, possibly the temptation that he spoke of there was denying him. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, the disciples' spirit was willing, was it not? Jesus said, you going to scatter? They said, no, we not. We will die with you. The spirit was willing. In their heart, in their spirit, they were ready to stand up for the Lord. But when it come down to it, their flesh was weak. Oh, yeah, God, we're going to stand with you. Oh, wait a minute. I may get arrested. I may get, I may get crucified. I may get in prison. Oh, not going to sacrifice my flesh. As soon as it came down to it, they were gone. They were out. Jesus knew that. They didn't know it. They still thought that they were all ready to go. But they were sleeping. They told Jesus they was going to die for him. They couldn't even stay awake for him. That's how strong that they, their, their faith was and their spirit was. Perhaps they didn't realize what was, what was about to come. Verse 39. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See my betrayer is near. So here in these last few minutes that the disciples were spending with Jesus, he said, stay awake, pray. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. Pray that your spirit will remain strong and your flesh will not fail. But they didn't pray up. They slept up. And three times Jesus came and they were sleeping every time. And finally, he said, get up. The time has come. And Jesus wanted them to be ready for the time that had come. That's why he told them to stay awake and pray. Perhaps we need to make sure our prayer life is what it needs to be. Maybe your prayer life is good, praise the Lord. Maybe you're sleeping a little bit on your prayer life. Maybe figuratively or maybe literally. Maybe you'd fall asleep in your prayer. Perhaps the disciples started off praying. Maybe they did. Maybe Jesus left and they said, all right, I'm going to pray. They said, I'm just going to lay down while I pray. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens. You fall asleep. And Jesus said, look, stay awake. Stay awake. As Christians, we must stay awake. Because the time is coming. What is the time? I don't know. There's lots of times that come in our life. There are times that come in our life where there are all kinds of difficulties and struggles and heartaches and sorrows. There are times coming in our life that are going to be very difficult. 
We all face difficult times. We have good seasons and bad seasons. So we must pray. We must be prepared for the times when they should come, the times of difficulty, the difficulties that we're going through now, perhaps. And we need to remember that when we pray, that God hears our prayers. God does not always answer our prayers in the way in which we, we ask Him. But God does hear our prayers. God does listen to our prayers. And when we pray, we must pray that God's will be done. Not our will. Because a lot of times we pray for things that don't amount to nothing. Sometimes we pray for things that are quite significant. But we must know that what God's will is, is correct. Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now, Jesus knew he was about to give his life. He knew he was about to suffer. He knew he was about to go through all of these things. But he also knew something else. He'd already said it in the prayer. Nothing is impossible. Jesus knew that even if he died on the cross, that God had the power to raise him from the grave. Now that's not insignificant for us today. We need to remember that because there are people that we pray for that are so sick, that suffer, that die, that are in pain. And sometimes we pray that God would heal them. We pray that. We want our loved ones to be with us. And we pray, God, heal them of this. Deliver them from this. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes they, they pass on. They leave this world. And when that happens, there are certainly times that we become angry with God. But what we need to remember is that God has heard that prayer. And we say, God, you didn't answer my prayer. God, you didn't answer my prayer. You took them. You didn't deliver them. No, God does answer those prayers. And praise the Lord that the death that we experience in this world is not the end. Because the same God that rose Jesus from the grave three days later is the same God that will raise us from the grave if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we must trust God in the difficulties. That's what the story of Abraham says in the Old Testament. God had promised to bless Abraham through his descendants. He finally, as an old man, has a son named Isaac. And God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Do what? And Abraham, of all things, was going to do it. He was going to do what God told him to do. And just before he took Isaac's life, God prepared a sacrifice. Why was Abraham willing to take that chance? Why was he willing to do that thing that was so hard that God had called him to do? Well, Hebrews tells us, because Abraham knew that God was even able to raise people from the dead. Abraham knew God's promises. He knew what God said. He knew the part of God's plan that he revealed. And he knew the promise was to come through Isaac. But even though God said, do this thing that don't make any sense, Abraham said, God, I trust you because I know that even if his life ends, you are able to raise his life up 
We must remember that. And the prayers that we pray that God does not answer, it may not be because God's not listening or it may not be because you don't have faith. It may just be because God's got something better in store. Perhaps he's got something better in store for you, the person you're praying for, or perhaps what's going to come from some prayer that we pray that is unanswered. It might affect somebody that you never know until one day when you see them in the kingdom of God. And it all happens because all the pieces fall into place. And the first piece that must have fallen into place before anything could occur was Jesus giving his life. And so he says, God, I pray to you, but not my will be done. Your will be done. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we pray that your will be done. God, we ask you for a lot of things, a lot of good things. And God, you are good to us. You hear our prayers. You, you often answer our prayers. But God, sometimes you do not. And so help us not to doubt you. Because God, you, you have our best interest in mind. You have, you have the interest of your kingdom in mind, God. You have the interest of humanity in mind. You want all to be saved. And God, you will do whatever you have to do so that they all have the opportunity they need. So God, I pray that you would help us not to doubt. That you would help us not to question our faith when you don't always answer our prayers the way that we, we want. God, let us learn from Jesus. Let us learn how to pray. Let us learn that we need to pray. God, Jesus was about to face this most difficult time in life, the most difficult thing anybody could ever face. And what did he do, God? He prayed. So I pray that we would do the same. But God, perhaps, just perhaps, we're more like the disciples. Perhaps we're kind of sluggish in our prayer life. Perhaps we are sleeping on the job. But God, help us to pray and be strong. To be strengthened by your word. To be strengthened by our prayers. God, so that we can be ready to face our temptations. We all have temptations. They're all different for each of us. We all have hard times that are coming. But God, whatever hard times that may come in our life, let us be prepared for those times. So let us pray. Let us stay awake. Let us be alert. God, let us trust you in all that you do. And God, we pray more than anything that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, if there is one in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray today that they would. Maybe there are some in here that are yours and they just got some things they need to square away with you. So God, I pray that they'd come to you now and just pour their heart out to you as we sing. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.